Amen. Amen. Well, it was early this morning when my four-year-old was knocking on my bedroom door. We keep the door locked for that very reason. And so I went, I got up out of bed, and I went and opened the door, and she came in and said, Daddy, happy and merry Christmas Eve. I want to snuggle with you. And so I what could I say? So sure enough, she hops into bed, and we snuggle up, and she nestles in real tight, and in the middle of our special daddy-daughter moment, she whispers sweetly into my ear, Daddy, when am I going to get pregnant? <laughs> to which I replied immediately, in 20 years after you're married. And then it occurred to me, why would she be asking such a bizarre question? Well, of course, we have been, it's Christmas Eve. We've been talking about Mary, who's been pregnant and is about to give birth to the Savior of the world. And in her little mind, the anticipation of hearing about Mary's pregnancy made her wonder and even excited. Maybe, maybe I can be pregnant too. Now, there's probably multiple morals to this story, right? I mean, teach your kids about the real meaning of Christmas and your daughters want to get pregnant and teach your kids about Santa and your sons just want to get fat and grow hipster beards and be generous to people. I don't know. But it is interesting, isn't it? It's, it's really interesting how our unique perspectives on things inform our emotions about the celebration of Christmas. There are a lot of different layers of emotions that happen this time of year, aren't there? And our perspective informs those emotions. For the child, you can see it as they wonder and awe as they lose their gaze in the Christmas lights that are on the tree. For the parent who has children or grandchildren coming home to fill the house, They look forward to that reality of joy and pains of family life again and the warmth of Christmas. For the grieving, for those of us who've lost loved ones or those of us who come from a broken home, strong feelings of loss are revived during this season. For those of you who are hosting guests, the desire to have a perfect meal, a comfortable environment, and a sense of relief and even fulfillment as your guests are pleased. For the Christian, a sense of gratitude, a profound sense of gratitude to God himself, not just for the the wonderful festivities of the season, but for the fact that Jesus came out of love and grace to save people and to give them eternal life. It's interesting how your unique perspective on things informs your emotion about what the celebration of Christmas is. But what about God? Have you ever thought about God's perspective And how his perspective of Christmas informs his emotions. I mean, sometimes we don't think about God as particularly emotional. But the Bible talks about God in terms of having emotion. 
what was it like for him? I mean, was it anticipation for what Jesus would do? Was it grief that his son left the heavenlies and came into earth? Or was it something else? What was the disposition of God at Christmas? Well, I think I can tell you at least some of what God was feeling. And it's directly related to the the reason why Jesus came and the basic action and basic emotion that occurred as Jesus went throughout his life. And so why did Jesus come? Why was he born on Christmas? Jesus himself would give us a number of answers to that question with a variety of different points of nuance, but perhaps the clearest expression is that Jesus came on Christmas. He came with a mission, and that mission is described in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. To seek and save the lost. Jesus came on a rescue mission of the highest order. Find them and save them. And it all began at Christmas. And these two basic actions of seeking and saving are attached to an emotion that God himself experiences and in fact the whole host of heaven experiences as he goes throughout his life. Jesus tells us about this in Luke chapter 15. In Luke 15, Jesus gives three parables, three short stories, all to make the same point. Listen as I read the first two of those three to you this evening. Luke 15 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so. I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, She calls together her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I'd lost. Just so, Jesus says, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The logic of these two parables is pretty simple, isn't it? There is one who, in both parables, one who is seeking. This is Jesus. And there is one who is lost. And this is pointing to anybody who has sinned. And in this simple 
expression of the mission of Jesus, we see emotions that happen in heaven. First, let's look at the seeker. In both the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, there's a profound sense of concern and urgency for that which is lost. The woman cleans her entire house looking for the coin. The shepherd leaves the 99 behind and goes through the fields and through the woods and to the cliff until he finds that one lost sheep. Seeking. Intensely seeking. And the point is that the coming of Jesus is the first step of his intense seeking for those who are lost. And it doesn't matter the type of person you are. It doesn't matter what they've done. No requirements other than being lost, of course. He searches, he cares for, and he finds the sinner no matter who they are or what they've done. And obviously he goes to great lengths to accomplish this mission, to step out of eternity and to take on flesh, to be of humble estate, to leave the throne room of heaven. Try to imagine it with me. The throne room of heaven in all of its glory and receiving all of his honor and exercising all of his power to the praise of his name, but to condescend to go on a mission to seek and to save the lost. And it begins at Christmas. The second figure in these parables are the ones who are lost. And they know that they're lost. Now, you've often heard it said or read or seen on TV that Jesus came as a great example for people to follow. That Jesus was a wonderful moral teacher which would show us a better way to live. Well, he would do those things. And he was those things. But that wasn't his primary mission. Make no mistake about it. He was on a rescue mission for the lost. I wonder if you've ever met a rescue diver before. Amy and I lived in Cape Cod, Massachusetts for six years, and we got to know a couple of Coast Guard rescue divers. And I got to tell you, those are some bad dudes. <laughs> Anybody that's crazy enough to jump out of a helicopter in gale force winds into 20-foot seas to find and rescue someone who's lost at sea is on a serious, serious life and death mission. Now, how absurd would it be if upon getting all the gear on and getting in the helicopter and taking the ride and locating the one who is lost, which is no small feat, in a very large ocean, and then jumping out of the helicopter into the water and swimming up to the one who is lost, upon his arrival, the one in the water looks to the rescuer and says, I am so glad you are here. Can you teach me how to swim? That's absurd. The one who's lost at sea is exacerbated. The waves have been crashing over his head. He's moments away from his death. He doesn't need an example. He needs to be rescued. And so it is with the one sheep who was lost. And as the 
text says, knew he was lost. So it was with the coin, even an inanimate object that couldn't find itself. It needed to be found. And the implicit warning is that the grace of God is really only accessed when we understand that we, we are the lost ones and that our sin has made us lost. And we're willing to be found on God's terms and when he finds us, we surrender ourselves to the one who's been seeking. And what's the result? Well, both parables have nearly identical descriptions at the close. The shepherd calls all of his friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me, I found my sheep. The woman calls all of her friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me, I found my coin. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who don't think they need to repent. Or just so I tell you that there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's joy. There's joy in heaven when sinners are saved. Not simple happiness, not short-lived emotion, not a mere magical moment, but joy. Lasting, abiding joy over each and every one who was lost but is found. What are the sentiments of the angels as the prince of heaven went out of eternity and came into humanity? Well, they tell us. They proclaimed to the shepherds as the glory of the Lord appeared to them, saying, I bring you good news of great joy, the very joy of heaven, because sinners will be saved and peace will be brought throughout the earth. There's joy in heaven when sinners are saved. What is the emotion of God on the first Christmas Seemingly every remembrance thereafter. Well, he tells us. Isaiah chapter 52, break forth together in singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before his eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. There is joy in heaven at the coming of the king. There is joy in heaven as people believe in him. And all heaven rejoices when sinners are saved. And it begins at Christmas. I hope that you are among those who have seen your need for a savior. I hope that you are among those that can truly recognize I was the lost one. But Jesus came and found me. And you respond to him accordingly. You respond to him in faith as he takes you home. If you haven't 
responded in that way or if maybe you are now just realizing that you are indeed the lost one, then my most sincere encouragement to you, friends, is let the joy of heaven be loud and clear as you allow yourself to be found, as you surrender yourself to this one who is seeking. What are the emotions of God? As Jesus was born into the world, there's joy. There's joy in heaven because it begins on that day that sinners will be saved. And Christmas begins the rescue mission. Please pray with me as we continue to worship God. Heavenly Father, you are a great and mighty king, the God of the heavens and the earth, and yet in your perfect timing and your perfect plan, you saw fit to send your son on such a mission as this. Father, we rejoice because we recognize that our sin caused us to be the lost sheep or the lost coin or even the prodigal son that would go about his way But God, when you found us and when you saved us and you forgave us, not only do we experience new life, new joy and eternal life, but now we recognize that this gives you great joy as well. Praise your holy name for the coming of your son. We pray these things in his honor and to his glory. Amen.